We continue with our series on Sunday night, Training with the Twelve. I think we have a few visitors here, so let me explain what we're doing is going through the New Testament gospel accounts mainly and looking at how Jesus trained the Twelve. We're going to do it by topic, discuss what Jesus taught them, and look for all the scriptures where he did his training with the Twelve. Uh, next week I'll start on a series about religious acts. He taught them a lot about religious acts. Uh, talked about the Sabbath with them. He talked about uh, fasting. He talked about ceremonial washings and taught them the true meaning of religious acts. So we'll take a few weeks on that. Uh, following that, Brother Toby's going to have a series on prayer, uh, and he'll look at how Jesus taught the Twelve about prayer. Uh, hopefully we'll learn a few things about prayer, but the, the concept is, what did he tell the apostles was important about these things? So that's how we're approaching this study, and uh, tonight we're finishing our kind of introduction. We decided, or I decided, we ought to meet the apostles first. Uh, so we've been working our way through the 12 apostles and uh, have nine of them done. going to finish the last two tonight, James and John. And if you've been here, you hope the, all the others are kind of piling up and uh, making you th- uh, think about what this 12 was really like. Uh, James, let's talk about him first. James and John were brothers. We've learned that uh, there is a possibility uh, they were related to Jesus. Uh, we don't have any strong proof of that, but some people uh, read the list of the women, and that's there at the top of your back page. Uh, but anyhow, whether they were or not, doesn't matter. Uh, James was in the inner circle, top three, but he was the least known. Uh, hardly ever anything said about him. Out of Peter, James, and John, it's almost always about Peter and John. Uh, when you read what they said or did or got involved in, James is overshadowed, if you will, uh, by Peter and John. We don't know much about him other than what we know about uh, James and John and just a couple of things about them. Uh, there's only one time where he's listed by himself. Uh, all the other times he's listed with his brother, uh, James and John, together uh, generally. Uh, but he is mentioned one time, and that's when he was murdered. And we'll talk a little bit at length about that in uh, Acts 12, 2, where Herod had James killed by the sword. Uh, every other time, he's James and John, uh, the two brothers. And some of you siblings may recognize that problem. Uh, maybe twins especially recognize that. But that was James's lot in life. Uh, interesting to me that two of the lists, and we've talked about the four lists, and you got those early on, They seem to be in order of importance or maybe closeness to Jesus. And Peter's always first in all the lists. Uh, Peter, James, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are always the top four. Uh, We've talked about that a number of times. But two of the lists have Peter, then Andrew, and two of the lists have Peter, then James. Uh, So it's possible that James was a more important leader than we think. So which we're told so little about him, uh, he may have had quite a bit of influence with the twelve. Obviously not as much as Peter did, but 
considerably more than the rest of them, and maybe maybe more than Andrew and John. Uh, what we do know a little about, and this is more secular history, I probably should have labeled it that way, but I thought some of it's Bible, so I thought it was interesting, was his fam- family. Uh, probably they were a very prominent family. The, the boys are listed as the sons of Zebedee. And sometimes that's used in just the name of somebody to tell you whose kid they are. But when they're referred to that way all the time, it's like Zebedee was some kind of big shot. Okay. James and John, they were sons of Zebedee. Okay. So if we take it that way, and I think it's semi-fair to take that inference from the, the, the recorded text, uh, they were more prominent than... Peter and Andrew's family, who were kind of the two brother pairs that all were fishermen and all that. Uh, We've got a little bit to support that. Uh, Zebedee's fishing business was pretty successful. He had hired hands on the boat with him, so he obviously had a pretty good business. It wasn't just a standalone thing. And another interesting thing is toward the end there when Jesus went to the trial and uh, Peter wanted to get into the courtyard, uh, the record says in John 18 that John was known to the high priest, okay? and he had enough influence somehow to get Peter into the courtyard. So somehow the family, or John particularly, uh, was acquainted with the high priest, which is a little unusual for a fisherman from Galilee. So maybe they had connections there, uh, some evidence, some writers, secular writers, uh, say that Zebedee was a Levite, that he was very well known, uh, and that he was related to the high priest's family. Uh, so there were family connections there, and that would account for John being able to tell the uh, the high priest and the guard to let my friend in here. Uh, it would also, if any of that's close to true, uh, account for some of the arguments that the boys had. If James and John came from this very prominent family, uh, they already thought they were special, perhaps. And that's why they argued about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. So anyhow, his family was probably well-connected somehow. Uh, Another interesting thing about James, although we're not told about him specifically, is that he was one of the only three humans to witness all these things. And I listed, I think, four things there. He saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. Uh, He saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. Uh, That It was just Peter, James, and John with Jesus when he went to do that. Uh, He was alone with Jesus and Peter and uh, John on the Mount of Olives when Jesus explained the end times, Matthew 24. Sometimes we think we talk about that like to everybody, but it's Peter, James, and John that said, hey, explain that to us. They were off by themselves. And, I mean, just think of that one alone. Jesus is explaining the end times to you. You Here's how things are going to work. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how Jerusalem's going to end, and et cetera. So he heard that was one of the three. And then he got to go to the garden when Jesus was praying the whole night before his uh, arrest and crucifixion. 
So he was in there as Jesus went back and forth and came out and caught them sleeping and all of that and saw Jesus' agony. Uh, so you put all those together, uh, James was pretty special. Uh, Peter, James, and John were all special, but only three humans got to see all of those things. I got to see Jesus glorified. I got to see his power when he personally raised a little girl there in the room. I got to see his sovereignty as he explained, here's how the world's going to end. And got to see his agony. I don't know what Jesus looked like when he came back out of the garden after he had sweat great drops of blood. But James got to see that. So uh, James is a pretty special one of the apostles. Of course, what he's most known for is being a son of thunder. Uh, that was the nickname that Jesus gave him. He and his brother John called them sons of thunder. So we would probably be pretty safe to think that he was pretty fiery, uh, passionate, uh, short-tempered perhaps, pretty intense at least. Uh, and we don't have any other proof than a couple of stories, but uh, he was the first one martyred. Now, maybe uh, just because of his personality and the way he was and pushing it and wanting to be in the front, uh, maybe that's what got Herod to choose him to be the uh, first apostle martyred. Um, our main clue is that Jesus called him a son of thunder along with John. Now, the two stories that reinforce that, that make us understand what a, why somebody would call you a son of thunder, uh, the first one is over in Luke 9, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this. So if you've got your Bibles, turn over to Luke 9, uh, just because I think there's more to it, uh, mainly because I spent a little time reading about it, and I thought, man, i got to share that. You know, that's good stuff. So... Luke 9. All right, we'll get back to it in just a moment. Uh, this is when he and his brother wanted to call down fire. Okay, but the situation, if we understand that, I think explains what they were wanting to do a little bit more. Uh, the whole chapter, basically, uh, or the start of the... Uh, well, let's see, where we are. Luke... Nine, toward the end here. Okay, 51. Okay. They were heading to Jerusalem. Uh, let's just read the first three verses. At the, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, it's time for Jesus to die. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Uh, older translations say he set his face toward Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to my death. He sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? Okay, so the story is Samaritans, of course, were uh, a mixed breed of Jews and Assyrians and other pagans uh, back in the Old Testament, when Assyria took over a northern kingdom, they did what Babylonians and others did. They took the best people, the best and the brightest, uh, the Daniels and the 
boys like those and the priests and the educated and the most prominent, they took them to Assyria uh, to help build their civilization. And then they sent other people, usually captives and things from other places, pagans and foreigners, to resettle in the new captivity place. Okay. Uh, they wanted everything mixed up. They didn't want people to have their own civilization. They wanted uh, diversity. That's what they wanted. So anyhow, they sent them into uh, the northern kingdom, and the Jews that were left intermarried with these pagans and foreigners from other places, and they got the religion all messed up. Okay. In fact, things weren't going well, and the king of Assyria sent one of the priests back that he had captured. He said, you go back and teach them how to worship God. Well, what they ended up with was a mix of pagan and foreign and Jewish stuff. They built a temple uh, in on Mount Gerizim, and they believed, even in Jesus' day, that that was the only place you could properly worship God. And that's what Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman about. Um, they not only the Jews hated Samaritans, and that's why they always went around Samaria, made an extra long trip, but Jesus went through it a couple of times. Uh, Jews hated Samaritans, but Samaritans hated Jews too. Okay. Uh, they didn't like Jews a bit, and they didn't like, well, they hated what was going on in Jerusalem. They thought that was false worship uh, because they had their own mix of Mount Gerizim and all that stuff. So here comes Jesus, get the picture. He sent some extra guys ahead. Don't know which one of the apostles it were, but they went ahead. And I don't think it was James and John, the way the, the verse reads. Uh, but they went ahead and tried to set up lodging for Jesus. And every place they went, nope, got no room for you. It wasn't the problem that they had no room. It was they weren't being hospitable. They didn't want them to stay. Okay? Here comes a bunch of Jews headed to worship at the Passover in Jerusalem, and they were going to make it as hard as possible. No, we're not going to help you spend the night. We're not going to sell you any food. We're, we're not going to do anything to help you. That's what it says. So they did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Okay, so religious persecution, if you want to call it that here. But anyhow, they couldn't get room. They were persecuted that way and all that. And then it seems like when the main group got there, Jesus said, you got the rooms for us? And they said, nope, nobody else... Help us at all. And that's when the boys of thunder went off. They said, whoa, <laughs> they're not going to help us. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, let us call down fire from heaven. We'll burn them up like Elijah did. You know, that's left out of the NIV, which I brought with me tonight. But verse 54 usually says, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them like Elijah did? Okay? And that's the second interesting part of the story is Samaria in this area was where Elijah had his, I mean, Ahab and Elijah days. Ahab had his ivory palace, and uh, it was the center of Baal worship and all of that. So back in those days, right around this area... Uh, the descendant of Ahab 
uh, Ahaziah uh, fell off the roof, remember, of the palace and broke himself all up. And he wanted to know if he was going to survive, so he sent a group of messengers to talk to the sorcerers who worked for Baal, Baalzebub. Well, Elijah heard about that and got Elijah mad. He was a prophet of God. So he stopped them and he said, where are you going? They said, we're going to seek information from the sorcerers. And he said, isn't there any God in Israel? Well, why do you have to go ask a fake God? He said, you go back and tell the boss that he's not going to live. He's going to die. So the guys went back. And they told him what this old man said. And Ahaziah said, who told you that? And they said, don't know who he was, an old guy in a leather coat and kind of wild looking. And he said, ah, that's Elijah the Tishbite. He said, he's given my daddy trouble forever. And so he picked 50 men and he sent them to go kill Elijah. This is in this area, now I remember. And Elijah, servant of God, said, what are you guys here for? They said, we want you to, uh, uh, well, we're here to kill you, basically. They didn't say that. But he said, well, how about fire from heaven falling on you guys? And zap, they were gone. Lit them up. Ahaziah sent 50 more. For some reason, it <laughs> doesn't seem wise to me, but he did it. And Elijah fried them. He called fire from heaven. Okay. The third gang of 50 came, and the leader of that one was a little smarter. He went up and talked to Elijah, and he said, have mercy on me now. He said, I'm just doing what I was told. He said, would you come back with me and talk to the king? And they said, yeah. I mean, Elijah said, yeah, I'll do that. So Elijah went back told the king, you're not going to live, and he died. Now, understand the 12 apostles. Remember how well they knew the Old Testament? How well they knew this stuff and this history and all that? So here these boys are, right where this happened, and these Samaritans are dissing us. So what's their response? Well, we'll do what Elijah did. It would take them out for you, Jesus. Now, the problem is that wasn't Jesus' plan, and Jesus wasn't inclined to do that, and Jesus hadn't given any sign that he wanted to do that, and James and John couldn't do it by themselves. So they're a little presumptive here. They basically said, Jesus, give us the power and let us fry them. We'll take care of them for you. That's... That's a son of thunder. You know, these guys wanted their vengeance. They were mad at the Samaritans. They were going to take care of it for Jesus, and they'd just fix everything up. And Jesus probably shook his head and said, you sons of thunder. So that story pretty well verifies what he meant by that. And then the second one is when they wanted a special place in the kingdom. Now, bear in mind, they didn't understand the kingdom too well. Uh, so in Matthew 20, we read about that. And James and John evidently cooked it up first, and they brought Mama with them, which probably reinforces the thought that this was a prominent family. Their mother was probably well-known and influential and uh, kind of a big shot, and if her name was Salome, as some people think, 
uh, or whoever she was. They talk, took her with her, and she said, Jesus, I need to ask you a favor. He said, what? She said, I want my two boys to have the places of preeminence in the kingdom. I want them to be the two most important. Jesus said, no, I can't do that for you. Well, before he said that, he said, do you really think you're ready to have the same baptism as me, to drink the same cup? John got to see that cup when he watched him die on the cross. He said, you're not ready for that, and besides, I can't give you that. So that's the kind of, I mean, that mentality that we can be the most important and we'll, we'll lobby for this position and push our way into a place of power here. In fact, let's just turn over there and, well, I'll read it to you. I'll make sure I get it exactly like they said it. Matthew 20. Anybody know what the result of this little gamut was? Matthew 20. Uh, verse 24. Da, 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 da. Okay. Anyhow, they did, did what, just what I told you. He told them they couldn't have the seats. And then when the ten heard about this, Matthew twenty twenty four, they were indignant with the two brothers. Okay. The other ten got mad. Okay. Here's this mix of people that we got here. And these two guys are outrageous enough. To have Mama come ask Jesus if they can be the big shots. No wonder that ten got mad at them. Can you imagine the next few days' journey? You know, I'd like to know what Jesus taught them on those two days. Yeah, he probably had some pretty good talks with them. But yeah, that's who we're dealing with. Sons of Thunder. This particular son of thunder was James. Okay. He is the only one that we know for sure how he died because the Scripture tells us. Uh, the account of uh, his death is in Acts chapter 12. In fact, let's look at that too. I think it's interesting. You're wondering how I'm going to get John in. Well, I am. I didn't say how fast I'd get it in, but I'll get him in. Acts 12. We only have to do the Son of Thunder thing one time. Acts 12, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Okay. So we're told that James died. He was beheaded uh, by King Herod. Now, Clement, an early historian, uh, wrote about that, and he had an interesting story, but it's secular, so we can't verify it. Uh, he said that the, the guy that was assigned to take James up there to the judgment seat to get his sentence uh, took him up there, and as he watched James and how he behaved and how he kept upholding his testimony, I'm sure he was asked to recant uh, Christianity, he wouldn't do it. And uh, he was so moved that when James had to confess Christ, uh, the guy that was in charge of him, probably a guard of some sort, uh, confessed that he was a Christian too. I don't know if he already was and he just confessed it or if he just decided on the spot, you know, if this is what Christianity is, this is good stuff. Anybody that tough and went along with it. But anyhow, supposedly, 
Herod then marched both of them over and had them both beheaded. So, interesting story. Whether it's true or not, I can't prove it. All right, John, the other son of thunder, the one who became the apostle of love. Uh, We know more about John probably than any of the rest of them because he wrote so much. And he doesn't brag. In fact, he doesn't even use his name most of the time. He just calls himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. But we get more accounts about him, so we know a little little more about him. He wrote uh, the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote Revelation. Uh, my position is that he changed more than all the rest of them. He grew more in this two-year period or so. He took the training better <laughs> than all the rest of them uh, because he started out, if you remember, as a son of thunder. And he ended up as the apostle whom Jesus loved and the apostle that wrote all the time about love. In his gospel and in his three epistles, he uses the word love over 80 times. He just talks about it all the time. That's how he explained things. Uh, And he was probably the most influential apostle on this earth uh, because he lived so long. He did get sent off to the Isle of Patmos. He was uh, uh, sent into exile there uh, for a while by one of the uh, emperors. Uh, but he, the story goes, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, secular legend says that he came back and that he was patriarch or the, the, the elder of the church in Ephesus that Peter started, uh, Paul started. Uh, so if that's true, anyhow, he lived a long time. He died about 98 or so. Okay, so everything we learned about James, basically we can apply to John. He was a son of thunder. He witnessed all those uh, amazing things that James witnessed. Uh, as far as we know, he was the only apostle to witness the crucifixion. Uh, there might have been some others watching from afar off, but the Bible doesn't even insinuate that. Uh, the rest of them fled and went into hiding. Uh, John went in uh, with Mary, got right down close to the cross where Jesus could talk to him. Uh, so probably saw the, the nails driven into his hands and uh, probably saw it all. Uh, oh, the only time that he speaks... In the, the four, in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, the only time he speaks in there shows us a little bit more son of thunder. Okay. Uh, let's turn over to that passage, Mark chapter 9. And this is just him by himself. Mark 9. Down verse 38. Uh, They came to Capernaum. Uh, Let me see if I got this right. 33. There, 38. All right. They're traveling on the road. And in verse 38, John came running up to Jesus and said, Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Jesus said, don't stop him. 
No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Kind of a strange teaching here, and we'll have to get to it in, in one of our topics. But the interesting part is, th- this is how John thought. John, John was sectarian. John was, our group is it. And if anybody's doing anything and he's not one of our group, then we got to stop him. Even if he's doing something good, you know. Now, how other people cast out demons in the name of Jesus evidently shows us the power of the name of Jesus. That's uh, all we know about it. But whatever he was doing, Jesus didn't want him stopped. He said if he's doing something good and he's using my name, well, then he isn't against us. We can be sure of that. Uh, a little different than some of our attitudes sometimes. We may be a little closer to John's than Jesus's on this. But anyhow, that's kind of a son of thunder thing, isn't it? Uh, this is our little group, and boy, I don't want anybody else doing anything but us. So uh, that's the only story we got where John himself speaks. I think his writing is very interesting, which also, to me at least, reinforces his son of thunder title. Uh, John's black and white. You don't have many questions when you read John. Read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Of course, Revelation is something else. You read 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. uh, He is dealing in absolutes. He deals in certainties. It's cut and dried with John. There's light and there's dark. That's the way it is. That's the way the world is. There's light and dark. There's life or there's death. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. The righteous or wicked. Just the way he talks. Just the way he lays it out there. He says, if if we are born of God, we do not sin. Indeed, we cannot sin. You believe that? You say, well, yeah, I can explain that. Well, I can explain it too. But John didn't explain it. John just says, here's the way it is. Now, Paul, he explained it. He he went into all the subtleties of it. And, yeah, we sin, but, you know, we don't want to. And our struggle with sin and all of that. And John just says, we're Christians, we don't sin, in fact, we can't sin. Now, he's talking about repeated, consistent, unrepentant kind of sin. We know that, but the point is, he doesn't explain it. He, uh, he knows we sin, you know. Another place, he said, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. But his point is, as Christians, we don't live that way. He said things like, he who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Whoever doesn't have the, abide in the doctrine of Christ doesn't have God. He's hardcore now. He, he didn't have any gray ink. He, he didn't know how to write about the gray areas. It's black and white. Son of thunder, I think. It's the way he thinks. Now, he also threw in a whole lot of love 
explained that. The other word that he uses almost as much as he uses love is truth. Hey, you better be with the truth if you're playing with John. In fact, he said, i got no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. The people that I've dealt with, they walk in the truth. That's good. And so that was John. He, he changed a lot over the years, but he was still black and white. Okay, legend says that uh, he didn't leave Jerusalem for a long time. The rest of them scattered at different times, went different directions that we've been reading. Uh, but he stayed until Mary died because that's the God job Jesus had given him. John, take care of my mother. Uh, so he stayed until he got that done. When she died, he left, supposedly. Uh, virtually every early history writer says that he uh, ended up as at the church in Ephesus and was kind of the patriarch there, which is understandable. I mean, if an apostle, the last living apostle especially, uh, showed up, uh, he'd be pretty important in that church. Uh, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and one historian says that when he came back, when he was released somehow, uh, he came back, but he was so frail that they had to carry him into the church, and that he died around 98. Okay, 98 A.D., not 98 years old, but uh, probably would have been a little younger than 98, but maybe not a whole lot. All right, that's our 12. Very common men. Very uncommon man. I don't know what's uh, stricken you about all of this, but uh, how little we know about him has really impressed me. We just aren't told much about him. Uh, you'd think we'd know a whole lot more about them, but, but we don't. Uh, we know they were picked, and we know they were important, uh, because they were picked after a night of a special meeting of the Trinity, who talked all night about it. Uh, we know they became the spiritual leaders of Israel. Uh, we know they were the first ones to preach the new covenant and explain it. Uh, they were the shaliyahs of Jesus. They spoke for him uh, wherever they went with his authority. They became great preachers. But we still don't know much about them. I think uh, probably one key to thinking about these 12 as we wrap up here is that passage we read from Acts 12, verse 2. Uh, that's the only death of an apostle we got. Okay? The other 11, I've been reading you secular history. I've been reading you legends. Maybe he died this way. We don't know. But this one, uh, the death of one of the top three apostles is recorded as Herod had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Bam, that's it. I mean, that tells you something. That these men, although what they did was so important, so essential, it, they weren't that important. You know, we talked about that before, how they got picked. You know, there's no reason you pick a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors and zealots and, and all these people that don't have any education or anything. There's no reason except that they don't have to have the power. They're going to do everything with your power. 
And that's what Jesus did. He trained them to do what he wanted. He empowered them to do what he wanted. Um, I don't know what version you've got of the Bible, but maybe you're heading to Acts. It says the Acts of the Apostles. That's what we tend to call that book. It's really not the Acts of the Apostles. Some people try to clean that up a little bit and say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. But if you read the first verse, John says, or Luke says, my former epistle, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do. And now I'm going to tell you about what else Jesus did. He doesn't say that, but that's the implication. Jesus was doing this through his apostles, through the Spirit of God and all that. I understand that. But the story is about Jesus. Okay. The book of Acts where these guys were doing all these things that were so important and so miraculous and so wonderful and all that. The story is not about them. Stories about Jesus. I mean, this is the obituary we get for one of the top three. Herod killed him with a sword. Essential, but not that important. Just doing what Jesus trained them and empowered them to do, and that's where the kingdom came from. That's, I think that may be how Christianity works. So we know about the 12 a little bit. Next week we'll start a series on uh, religious acts. What did Jesus teach them about that? Need to respond to the Lord's invitation or have other needs tonight? We'd be happy to help you with that. I'll be here at the front. Uh, Brother Charles, come and lead us. Stand and sing. If you need to come, come.